Hi, this is Steve Edison for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going down to Nashville, Tennessee, where we're going to talk to James Harvey and David Kaufman about reaching the world in your backyard. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Two and a half years ago, we started City Church of Woodbine, which is a small church in the heart of Na- kind of the south part of Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Primarily among the refugee community and the immigrant community, with the heart to reach them here and hopefully one day send them back to their nation. And and it was a typical uh, gathering uh, model, uh, then scattering them back out. You know where we'd have weekly service, preaching. Um, you know, children's ministry, you know, a typical gathering, t- church gathering. And then uh, James came on staff uh, about 18 months ago. And uh, really, at that point, James and I started co-laboring together and saying, what is it really going to take? Kind of the wig take question. What's it going to take to reach this city with the gospel? You know, there's 91 different people groups in Nashville, mm. and, uh, about 141 languages spoken. Uh, so we began to think through that. James went on a trip to visit his parents in Singapore uh, and was trained by some IMB guys in T4T at that point. What, now, and, you better just explain what IMB and T4T is. Um, yes. That, that's a computer company or something? or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so what, the what, IMB, yeah. yeah? Yeah. So the IMB stands for the International Missions Board, mm. and uh, that is the uh, – the international uh, missionary component, training component, uh, field component of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention okay. in the United States. So some Southern Baptist missionaries in Singapore, and they were doing this thing called t What's t for t just in a, a quick summary? Um, James, why don't you take it from here since part of your story of seats? Sure. So t for t is uh, just an acronym uh, that stands for Training for Trainers, and it comes out of uh, uh, the Bible, 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul instructs Timothy, you know, these things that you've heard me uh, teach uh, and trust to other reliable leaders that will be faithful to train others also. So it's Paul uh, training Timothy, Timothy training his disciples, and then Timothy's disciples training other disciples and just an ongoing leadership training network. Okay. And so then a, a T4T gathering is like a discovery Bible study, but it's just a lot more intentional in terms of evangelism and witnessing, uh, asking, praying for faith, obedience, and boldness. And so uh, when people gather together for T4T training, they come together and they you know, ask each other accountability questions like, who did you share Christ's story with or your personal testimony or the Bible story that we practiced last week? You know, Who did you share that with? How did it go? What did you apply in your own life? And then you do a new story. You practice telling the story. And then you map out your oikos, your your relationship network. And you say, okay, this week in the next seven days, who could I share this story with or my story with or Jesus Christ's story with, the gospel story? So that's uh, that's really where we realized um, that that's something that we wanted to do was really have a lot more accountability in Nashville and after seeing that, you know, T for T is not just those gatherings. It's not just a focus on evangelism. It's that worldview of what's it going to take to reach a city or a nation or a region of the world or really just at the end of the day, finish the Great Commission task mm. from Matthew twenty four fourteen, where Jesus says, you know, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and in the end will come. 
And so Jesus promised to come back when the Great Commission task of uh, seeing indigenous leaders making disciples in every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. Okay, and so, we, so you, you in, in Singapore, you met some, some workers there that are involved in this sort of uh, accountable discipleship. Uh, and that would be for – they're doing that with new believers, not just, you know, mature believers. Everybody's mm-hmm. in, in this whole thing of learning to obey, learning to follow, learning to share the gospel and disciple others. And That's right. What, what impact did it have on you and your sort of perspective on, on the ministry back in Nashville? Okay, so David, you know, asked me to come on staff with him at City Church and the vision was always multiplication. The vision was always, you know, finishing the Great Commission task in Nashville and then being an empowering leadership training, sending church to the rest of the world, specifically unreached and unengaged people groups and the 1040 window, which would be, you know, Europe and the Middle East, Asia, Africa, uh, all of those areas. And so um, when we came back and we, we got that strategy of, you know, in our gatherings, really holding each disciple of Jesus to accountability and faith and obedience and boldness in the harvest fields, that really helped us, you know, God really helped us restructure our church. And so at that point, we were gathering all of our disciples together every week in more of a traditional gathering with preaching, teaching, with a worship leader singing and offering communion, all these sorts of things. And over the last uh, year, uh, we have begun uh, calling our, our, our leaders in our church to start their own house churches in neighborhoods where they live. And so now we are, instead of being one gathering every week, we're seven house churches representing about 12 to 14 ethnic groups that meet all throughout South Nashville, Antioch, Smyrna. And the goal is, just as Jefferson Delta is, everyone in a healthy church and everyone starting new churches. So David and I spend most of our time during the week recruiting more people. We've got right now about five to six units, uh, whether it be from an E3 Partners mission trip a few weeks ago or people that David and I just know from working in Nashville the last five years. People are moving into Nashville for the purpose of starting reproducing house church networks here in Nashville. Uh, and then obviously working with first generation. So people that we see come to Christ. David went and did a Bible study with four Sunnis Muslims with an Iraqi man who came to Christ a month ago as the interpreter in Arabic. David identified the indigenous leader and he's going to start training him how to lead that group. Okay. Now just backing up a little bit before you went down this track, this is a church plant targeting, um, immigrant groups or unreached people groups. So in, in the church at Woodbine, did you have a whole range of nationalities then, not just one or two? Well, our vision was absolutely yes. Early on, we had just a few nationalities that we were reaching. Okay. Uh, and, and primarily the, the children, uh, that's who we were reaching. And so we were always burdened, how do we get back to the families? But the problem was because of language barriers, transportation barriers, um, et cetera, et cetera, logistics barriers, that we couldn't get them to come to our gathering. So, okay, it was so really- the gathering tended to be um, uh, American-born um, yes. folk who had a heart to reach internationals Yes, because God's bringing the world to Nashville. Yes. Um, but you, you found that we could reach uh, children, but we were expecting those internationals to step into our environment, to travel to us 
rather than taking the gospel discipleship church into their community. That's right. Okay, so that was the big shift then. That was the shift. Yeah, and now you have seven groups of, are they all internationals, or is there a diversity in? Um, two, out, two out of the seven are, prim, are, are primarily Anglo. Yeah. Uh, so the other five would be international. Uh, we have a Nepali group, all, all Nepali first generation, led by an Anglo, kind of modeling, assisting, watching, mm. and lettering or leaving mauling with them. Um, and that's really our training process of how we identify, as James said earlier, as quickly as possible, identifying the, the, the local leader, uh, the, the new believer that can be trained up. And so meeting with them separately, training them, getting, you know, uh, doing the T for T process, modeling for them. And so five of those seven groups are uh, um, international groups. Are okay. fully international. And what what nationalities have you got spread amongst the five then? Uh, so we have uh, Nepalese, mm-hmm. Burmese, Sudanese, uh, Iraqi, uh, Egyptian, uh, Somalia, uh, Anglo, African American, uh, Mexican, uh, Argentina, uh, Belarus, Thailand, and uh, uh, a few more. But that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you guys all get together, you must have some incredible food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we meet for about five hours too, so it's, it's, it's okay. wonderful. So do you bring everybody, all of those different groups together from time to time? Uh, once a month. In fact, it's this Sunday is our monthly gathering. We bring all the groups together. Uh, usually it's it's around a, um, a fellowship meal or, or a, a, an encouragement gathering, a vision casting gathering mm. uh, uh, where we allow, you know, just testimonies um, and just encouragement. And that, that gathering also from a logistics and from a, um, a network perspective is also where we try to uh, take up a collection for the network. So okay. for needs in a network, for, fun, for apostolic workers, mm. uh, for missionaries, we want to send out. Uh, that's where we would take up an offering for those purposes. Okay. So um, have many of these folks come to Christ recently? Within the last year, we have tracked about 147 people that have come to know Christ. Wow. And are they people, have some of those gone on to other things, or are they mostly still within the network? Um, as I as we track them, I would say about half of them are still within the network, mm. so about 50%. Uh, some of them have um, gone to existing churches. Uh, some of them, uh, quite honestly, uh, it's been difficult to follow up. We've gone yeah. back several times. Um, so that's that's always a challenge working with uh, ethne, you know, in terms of yes to Jesus, but no to discipleship. You and know, some have moved, some have moved, moved away. Jobs. Yeah. 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 And uh, one of the challenges we face as well is, especially with new immigrants, new refugees, is as soon as they get a job, it's seven days a week, 15 hours yes. a day. Yeah. So there's a small window usually when they first arrive mm. as part of our strategy of reaching them with the gospel. And uh, we've, we've got several partner organizations that do resettling of refugees that we connect with. And uh, something that we've learned as well is focusing on our strengths and not trying to do everything among refugees. So we believe our, our the best thing we can do for a refugee is is get into their home as quickly as possible and study the scriptures with them. Okay. That's what we want to do. Well, why don't we just, I'm just thinking, why don't we just start where you start? Um, and, and look, there may be specific examples you could give us. 
But typically, um, you know, how do you how do you get into the home of someone who is a, a new immigrant? Because there are a lot of us have, you know, God's bringing these people uh, to our doorstep. I know that's true for you know, yeah. Michelle and I have a local work back in Melbourne, and God's God is bringing the whole world to just. At literally 10 minutes walk from our house. Yes. Um, yep. So how do you connect with these folks and get in the home so that you can you can read and discover in the scriptures together? James, you want to answer? Yeah, sure. I mean, we've got two main strategies, or three really. Uh, the first is uh, that we work with local refugee resettlement uh, caseworkers and organizations and so we, uh, we, we have started training these caseworkers who work, uh, specifically the ones that are already believers. We've trained them in the T4T process. We've trained them in, you know, what's called their story, my story, Jesus' story. And so we have one of our uh, refugee resettlement caseworkers. When she goes to pick up a family from the airport, uh, she finds out what their nationality and their language is. And she brings an interpreter with her to the airport. And at the baggage claim... She shares her story and Jesus' story with them and asks them, may I uh, come and study the Bible with you in your home? Um, another strategy is uh, just prayer walking. You know, when you go into the harvest and we, we pick, uh, we've mapped out Nashville and uh, we had a team come in last summer and they spent about uh, 15 hours doing research and finding several hundred apartment complexes in the metro Nashville area. Mm-hmm. So we know in metro Nashville, uh, there's hundreds of apartment complexes it's about 85% unchurched of 1.6 million people in Metro Nashville. So our harvest field just in the metro area is over 1.2 million people. And uh, some recent articles, uh, research articles that came out said that Nashville's population is going to double by 2040. So we're looking at over 3 million people. And most of that population growth will be foreign born. Mm-hmm. And so this is an incredibly strategic city to be working in. So what we did is we, and and this isn't our idea. I mean, these are things we've learned from many other people doing this in other cities around the world. But it's just called a, you know, you just map a city based on people groups or population Mm -hmm. segments and then find out. So like where's Little Kurdistan or where's Little Egypt Mm -hmm. or where's uh, Little Vietnam or uh, where's Little Somalia. Like from where we're sitting, David and I can go walk. To the Somali mosque, a Somali cafe, a Somali prayer center, mm-hmm. several places where Somalis shop for clothes, Afri- you know, African clothes are imported. And so David will take a team over there and just start you know, having conversations mm-hmm. with people. We know right now mm-hmm. if we went over to the Somali cafe, there would be about 25 Somali men sitting there watching football games. <laughs> and you can grab a cup of coffee or tea, sit down. Yeah. Once they get over the initial shock that you're the only white guys in the room, <laughs> uh, if you just start talking about soccer yeah and i mean yeah. you're in you're yeah. immediately in because they, they play real football don't they the real, real football, football. Yeah. Real football. football. <laughs> um so so we do prayer you know identifying these apartment complexes yeah. and trying to do prayer walking in these specific places um and then the third is is like th- th- that third strategy is finding those businesses mm-hmm. finding you know a lot of times we talk about persons of peace or houses of peace or homes of peace or leaders of peace but we also have found there's businesses of peace. Okay. And so you can go to a specific international market or, you know, right across the street over here is Horace Kebab where there's an Egyptian guy. Okay. And we've shared the gospel with him several times. And through him, we've gotten into an Egyptian home mm-hmm. and a local apartment complex just down the street. Um, and well, so it's a bit the, the, like the marketplace idea when Paul's in Athens. Yeah. 
you know, there's the synagogue to go to. There's also the marketplace, which is, you know, the commercial community center. Um, and, and that business will link you then with the possibility of getting into someone's home. Right. And that's the power of their story, my story, Jesus story, because a lot of people have markets or international mm-hmm. communities, but the, the barrier is they don't know what to say. They don't know how to strike up a conversation. And so the most powerful way to engage a stranger is their story. Hey, how's it going? Uh, how are you doing today? Where are you from? How long have you been here? And you know, you know, how long have you been in our country? Do you like it? Um, you know, you know, where are you working? Or you know, what do you like to do? Tell me about your family. Are they here or back home? And and then you just start, you know, engaging somebody in their story, and that's a bridge to my story and Jesus' story. story. Okay, and it sounds like rather than you running ref- refugee program or you running the English classes, they're all really worthwhile things to do. Mm-hmm. You'll partner with folks that are doing that, um, but you're typically, we want to connect upfront with as many people as possible and be upfront about the gospel or discovery Bible study and get into a home or as many homes as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it all up front and then uh, is that does that I mean any way we can whether it's at at the airport or over a coffee yeah. in the cafe uh, we're just going to go out and connect with people without a lot of you're not running a lot of personally a lot of programs that's right you've got a lot of time connecting finding the responsive person then getting in the home is that right that's absolutely right yeah. in fact Early on, we did do some of that. We did the we did the ESL. We did the refugee programs. All of them are very good and and, and uh, very worthwhile. But we felt like if we're going to birth a movement, if we're going to be seeing disciples who make disciples who make disciples, then we've got to focus on getting into as many homes as possible, as quickly as possible, beginning the discipleship process with these people uh, as quickly as possible, so that they can. The, the, the gospel takes hold of their lives, and they begin multiplying that into other people. So uh, it's easy, especially in, in an international context, to get distracted, to do a lot of really good things. Yes. But uh, say if, if you had um, uh, a local church or a group of Christians that were doing refugee work or doing ESL, English as a Second Language, you would train them. You'd say, well, keep doing that program. But we can train you in uh, sharing God's story, your story, discovery Bible study. That's we right. can help you begin to uh, lead people to Christ and disciple them. Is that's that what right. you would do? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, and that's, that's what's been so hard for us is we, we used to think early on a person of peace was or a home of peace is someone that would let you in the door. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's not true. Uh, when when we, we we're both students of YoungMovements.net podcast, and we were listening to some of Jeff's stuff early on. And he said there's about a 75 percent attrition rate of new disciples and uh, groups. And Dave and I thought there's no way that's accurate. Well, two years later, he's absolutely right mm-hmm. because to find a legitimate person piece, you're looking for a sustainable. Uh, discovery Bible study that leads to an indigenous house church with indigenous leaders that go back out into the harvest with us mm. and become pioneer church planners with us. And that's a lot harder to find that person or wait for that person. So a lot of people, even even when we get into a home and get a discovery Bible study yeah. going, 
a lot of those groups will die or they'll move on or work or they'll get, like David said, they'll get a job. But, you know, it's really worth waiting for that one home. Keep searching, keep looking Mm. for that one home that we'll meet every week that will become a house church where they're adding public baptism and communion, leadership training, and ultimately going back out into the harvest with us because that's the whole point of all this is raising up indigenous disciple makers. Okay, and and so there's another piece here. You know, we first talked about what you guys were personally doing. We talked about what you can train other believers who are doing ESL or refugee programs. You're training them. But the real end game is um, as you're out in the field making disciples to find the few amongst those disciples who are really going to take this, and they're new believers. They're Somalis, Nepalese, uh, Iranians, and they're going to say, well, I'm not going to get sucked into the 24-7 job thing or, you know, I I am going to make disciples amongst my people. Yeah? And how how do you find those people? Well, once you do it, let us know. <laughs> no, uh, I think for me and for James, we say, um, are they are they fruit bearing disciples? That's how what we're looking for is, are they willing to go out and share their story when we when we hold them accountable each week? Are they willing to go prayer walking with us? Are they willing to to open up their network, their oikos, uh, to further study of the gospel, further st- discovery Bible studies? And so we're looking for the 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 Mark four twenty fruit-bearing disciples, hundredfold disciples. And, and those people are, uh, you know, out of 147 people that we've said have made some decision to follow Christ, we're talking three to five out of 147. Yeah, and there's a real profound temptation to be trigger-happy yes. in church planning about the front-end fruit. Yeah. Hey, we somebody got saved, a Somali got baptized, right. yeah. you know, let's yeah. send out our newsletters and yeah. you know, throw a huge party, <laughs> and we should, because yeah. there's a party in heaven when a lost sheep is found. At the same time, what David and I are learning is, is how important it is when somebody comes to Christ within a week, getting them back out into the harvest, mm. uh, training them in their story, mm. my story, Jesus' story. Do they know how to draw the gospel bridge, even if it's just pictures, because mm. so many people can't read in the refugee community. So some of the resources that we're starting to design are for orality cultures, for people where even with an interpreter, we would just take a, a picture. You know, the International Mission Board has the Bible storying scarf, and so in our uh, Nepali Hindu background believer church, uh, what they do is they roll into that home of, of 20 Nepalis, and the first thing they do is they lay down the scarf of these 40 pictures of Bible stories from creation uh, to the New Testament early church, and uh, they just start, pick, pick a story, and we'll tell you that story, and then you tell us that story back, and let's practice the story. And they're starting to identify specific indigenous leaders. You know, David, we, we saw an Iraqi Muslim come to Christ, be baptized a month ago. David took him yesterday into a home of four Sudanese Muslim men as the interpreter. And David took him as a new indigenous believer into the harvest to find out if he was willing, you know, that test. Of, yeah. Well, as what we pray for, faith, mm-hmm. obedience, and boldness. So the, our goal is to hold those indigenous believers, those Persons of peace, if they're re- if they're the real deal, will you go out with us mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and starting to train them is not who are you going to, but like, like Jesus said, and, and you said this in your first video training of the fishing and following a forum series that you're doing, you know, well, uh, come follow me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. And so we're following that model that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Instead of telling a new believer, what's your oil cost? Now go tell them. They've never seen Harvest Field obedience before. They've got to catch it mm-hmm. before they'll do it. And that's a huge adjustment we've made. Okay, so I imagine you still challenge them to share with their relational world, but what you're saying is early on you've got to take them with you so they can see you sharing and ministering. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, because I think it's too big of a leap, Mm. even though it sounds really good and we we thought early on this is how we're going to do it. Mm. Okay, come to Christ, learn how to share your story, and then map out, you know, mm. your oikos, the 10 to 15 people you know, and then just go share with them. Yeah. Well, just as James has said, it's like they, they've never seen it modeled. And we're learning more and more. Um, that's why it's in there. So it's in the, the, the vision. It's You've got to model for your new believers exactly what you want them to do. And so they've got to see you sharing your story. They've got to see you sharing the gospel story. Okay. So they get confidence and competence. Do you realize, uh, guys, you've stuff. just ruined how I've been training people for the last 18 months. <laughs> you've, just, you've just ruined it for me. Because well, I, I think like, you, uh, what you've just said is probably true even with mature believers. We're, we, we're doing a really good job of training them to share their story, gospel story, discovery yeah. Bible study. Um, some are beginning to do that. Some are leading people to Christ. But that's mm-hmm. the exception. Yeah. Uh, and maybe the missing point that that you know that I'm going to go away and think about is maybe we need to be a lot more hands on. And yes, come with me. Let's let's go meet some Iraqis down while they watch football. That's and right. See what I do. Yeah. Um, is that what yeah, you're finding? Yeah, we just uh, took a, a harvest field team up to Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and they, they, they're they a network of uh, three Great Commission network churches up there, and uh, they, they had been trained by Jeff Sandell. They'd read, you know, Steve Smith and Ying Kai's mm-hmm. book on T4T Revolution. You know, they even had all the certificates and everything. <laughs> Guess what they weren't doing? Going into the harvest, prayer walking. Wow. So they, they got in contact with us. They Googled Movements North America T4T and found our blog. And so then they got my phone number and said, could you come up and train us? And I said, okay, but here's the deal. The only thing I'm going to do is take you into the harvest. Are you okay with that? And they said, sure. So we went up there with a team of four, and I had them map out population segments or a specific people group. You know, Columbus has the second largest Somali Muslim immigrant population in North America. So it's very strategic for unreached people groups. But then we had them map okay, what are the population segments, whether it's a neighborhood or a local university or an apartment complex or a business marketplace, where realistically, if we get into a home or a business with a Bible study, we will do the follow-up as the locals. Because there's no point to take them to a harvest field where they're not actually going to do the Discovery Bible Study and church planning follow-up. So they mapped it out. We went up there. Uh, We got up there. It's a a six-and-a-half-hour drive. We left on a Friday, got up there at 2 o'clock. We spent 30 minutes praying for faith, obedience, and boldness and for harvest. We went out for three hours giving out Bibles, praying for people, uh, sharing the gospel, trying to start Bible studies. We did it the next morning. We got together. We prayed for faith, obedience, boldness, went out two and a half hours, and then came back and always shared stories of what God had did. 
And at the end of the training, it was all harvest field training. That network committed to go prayer walking every week. They had gotten into two Somali Muslim homes, a Kenyan Muslim home. Two Ethiopian women had gotten saved, so they started two Ethiopian house churches, uh, and they had 20 groups to follow up with. And they saw it. They saw it in the harvest, and it changed everything. It changed the game. Well, you, I, I don't know. I might just pull that video I put up the other day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like we watched yeah, it. It's we, great. Well, we like your videos, Steve. Yeah. What we've got to do though is is take the video and say, well, yeah, now we're going out. You really, <laughs> you know, you don't know it until you've seen someone do it, um, which means you must be training less people with greater impact. We've right? actually stopped training people unless they're willing to go out. Okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a big uh, deal breaker for us now. We won't train you in T for T unless you're willing to go out and prayer walk and go share your story and Jesus' story with us. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've and, just pulled my life into 18 months of training anything that moves in Australia. <laughs> 18 months of my life. And you... No, this is hey, good. This is very we're good. Look, look hey, from you, man. Hey, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff told me that early on. He says, just train anybody and everybody. And, yeah. I, and I understand what he, why he does yeah. that. And I understand why you do that. You're casting seed. You're, mm. you're, you're, but um, that's just a little hook within the seed. It's just a little. I'm going to I'm going ju- to dump that Sundell guy. You know. <laughs> Dude, come over to our side. Over here. I gotta make sure Michelle doesn't listen to this because she'll say, "I told you so, Steve." <laughs> I'm actually trying to grow a beard like Jeff. You know, I thought that as, a, as my disciple maker. You, you might have to put on a few pounds. I don't know. <laughs> I hope this is being recorded. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, this is this is very helpful. So that's what you're learning. Um, about training, well, what you need to do, you've got to be out there, yep. uh, what, how you need to train existing believers. So even if they're running the ESL course, if they want to learn how to make disciples in that setting, you're going to take them out and, and teach them how to do it. But also you're going to do that with new believers, um, and, but you're especially looking for those who are quick to learn and quick to do. Right. Now, before you beat yourself up over 147 responses to Christ, um, most of those people, it sounds like, have, have stayed. Some you've lost touch with or didn't go on. Half of them are in your groups. Others are following Jesus in other existing churches. Mm-hmm. But out of that 147, you've found... So that's, that's not lost. Most of that is yeah. good harvest fruit. Yeah. But out of the 147, you've got three to five people who are potential multipliers mm-hmm. because they're engaged in the harvest. They've been watching you. You know, you, mm-hmm. you get the um, Iraqi to come with you, and, and, and I guess he has Arabic, and he helps you yes. communicate with Sudanese from the north. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he gets it, you want him to become a multiplier in the Iraqi Arabic-speaking world. Yes, that he's in. Okay. That's right. And and at the moment, you've got three to five people like that who are right. potential multipliers. 
Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, Steve, I mean, it's so different with each person, each home, each context. I mean, mm. we're not, we, we've, we've seen some horrible persecution. We saw yeah. a guy uh, named Dinar who got saved in a home and his sister-in-law found out. He had prayed mm-hmm. to receive Christ. God had healed him miraculously of a stomach virus. Mm-hmm. So Jesus had demonstrated his power through a sign of healing mm-hmm. to this tribe of Nepalese in South Nashville and mm-hmm. Stonebrook Apartments. And then this, but the sister said, no, we're not adding Jesus to our gods. He'll mess everything up. Mm-hmm. And so Dinar came back to our Ethiopian evangelist and said, how do I get Jesus out of my heart? Oh, you know, man. and especially in the Muslim community, you know, there, there's real legitimate counting the cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. a lot of you know, Muslims that come to Christ, sometimes the, the best harvest field for them to go to is another harvest mm-hmm. in order to practice. That's why we're crossing harvests with the Iraqi going to the Sudanese. Okay. He feels comfortable early on as a new believer doing that. He doesn't feel as comfortable right now going back to his, his context. Mm-hmm. So we're working, we're building his faith, we're building his confidence, we're building his, his uh, you know, willing to count the cost, as James said, because he is uh, definitely... Um, wrestling with what are the implications for the gospel as I go back to my own people? Am I willing, yes. you know, to, to, uh, potentially, you know, not, not, not fear-based, but potentially be a martyr for the gospel. Yeah. He's already within a week of him becoming a follower. He was baptized mm. publicly mm-hmm. and then, uh, he was robbed at gunpoint. Mm. So it's like, okay, you yeah. know, what, yeah. what's going on here? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is um, something that really um, keeps me up at night is the, all these, these new believers that what, what do we want in their DNA? Uh, what, 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 are the, what are the foundational things? How do we keep them in the harvest? How do we um, protect them from wolves? And also, um, how do we help them see how their calling upon their life is to make disciples? Mm-hmm. And so this is something I feel like James and I both have – we're constantly talking about how do we get to second generation? How do we get to third generation? What, what are the barriers to growth to a movement? Early on, it was the existing Christians. It was the priesthood of all believers. When we first got going, it was, can I, can I baptize? Can I serve Lord's Supper? So we had to wrestle with that. Now we're beyond that. Now it's how do we get these brand new believers to get back into the harvest? How do we tr- give them the confidence they need in Jesus to say, yes, I'm willing to take a stand for Jesus. I don't just want him in my life. I want others to know who he is and how how, how wonderful he is. And I'm willing to go. And so that's that's where we've um, been, been challenging them. And then as we walk through the seven commands of Christ, uh, usually uh, the biggest hurdle for them, especially the Hindu and the Buddhist, uh, background is to be baptized. Mm. So it's been a process, uh, three months, six months, nine months, even with some of them before they're willing to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we, you know, within that, we've, that was something that, um, uh, Jeff as well as Jay Pratt, uh, challenging me on is, uh, not just baptizing them, but challenging them to become baptizers. In yeah. other words, who are they discipling and leading to Christ and they're baptizing? That's when you're, you know, really that it's, it's taking root. That's mm-hmm. that generational growth. So I, I've been really starting to talk in terms of baptizers, not, not, just be, not just be baptized. Tell us the story of, of one of those leaders that you, you're seeing God raise up from the harvest. Uh, so a, a guy, a young, a young man, uh, he's an Iraqi 
Uh, he is uh, from a Muslim background. Uh, he has uh, been here less than two months, so he's a new arrival, what we call new arrival refugee. Uh, he was serving along with um, the, the U.S. military doing translation work and so on and so forth, which is uh, very common uh, for a lot of the Iraqi uh, folks that come. Uh, this young man, uh, we'll just call him uh, um, D, D, the letter D, Dean. We'll call him Dean. Um, Dean uh, was uh, he was uh, one of our refugee caseworkers, knew him, and uh, several other folks had contacted him before just encouraging him, but yet no one had clearly laid out the gospel for him. So about a month ago, we had a, uh, an E3 event uh, with Jeff, training in the morning and then going out in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our teams went and visited him and his roommate, two, two men. And, uh, and they spent uh, four or five hours with them sharing their story, Jesus' story, and listening to their story. And so these men uh, were uh, very uh, encouraged. Uh, they, 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 um, from what I could tell, and again, I wasn't with this team, but I was uh, very closely connected to them. They were very interested in the gospel. And then the very next day, uh, uh, they actually invited them to the training. So they were being trained by Jeff in the morning. And then one of our local workers was meeting with them, and uh, they were uh, beginning to see the, the profound uh, wonder, wonder of Jesus. And so they said, we, we're willing to follow Jesus. You know, we know about Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. And so uh, the guy that trained them kept teaching them and training them and saying, okay, do you understand what this means? The, the implications, uh, the totality, the, the, the oneness, the, how he is the, the true uh, living God. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And so just after hours and hours of, of, of sharing and training and teaching, uh, they, they said yes to Jesus. They said, not, you know, again, world worldview shift, uh, 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 lordship decision, sonship, and you know, all these things. And and not only, and then as as this young man was teaching them the seven commands, he said, "Well, you need to be baptized." And again, through a series of events, that same week, um, uh, they said, "We're willing to be baptized." And and, and so, for any uh, Muslim to say they want to be baptized. Uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable, um, yeah. you know, in terms of it's a step real of marker, faith. isn't it? It's a real marker. So we were thought because at first I was like, well, they're not ready. Uh, you know, I, I had all these excuses. I had all these reasons why they could not be baptized yet, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Jeff and talked to some others, and they said, if, if they're willing to make that public profession, then there's no, we should not withhold baptism from them. So uh, that Thursday they were uh, they were baptized. This is this is a month ago. Yeah. So it's relatively new. All right. So then one of our local workers began meeting with them every day, almost very consistently training them, teaching them how to share their story and then and then taking them out into the harvest. Um, and, and so now we're beginning the process of training these two new believers, these two Iraqi former Muslim men uh, how to share their story. So they're learning that how to, how to share Jesus story. And now we're taking them into the harvest and uh, they're now, and this is something that is total redemption. So he, this young man was robbed at gunpoint three weeks ago. He, he now told me, he, he knows who did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knows it was a neighbor of his. Uh, and he says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forgive him, and I want to go share the gospel with him. Wow. So just a whole uh, remarkable. And so now I'm, I'm meeting with him uh, a couple times a week. 
and, and his roommate to begin training them as indigenous leaders to start their own their own group. Right now, I'm taking them to to my groups so they can see it. How how and then then, we'll, then we coach, we process it, and then now the goal would be, and this is what we're t- teaching them is how to, how to start their own group. So that's just, and that that group will become church for them. Yes, mm. yes. Yeah, but be part of a network, a growing network yes. of churches. That's right. Yeah, that you guys are moving amongst. Yes, mm-hmm. and they come. They've been coming to my house church for about three weeks, mm-hmm. and so they're in. They're in a body. We've got Iraqis and Nepalis and yeah. Anglos in our house church. Man, but, you guys uh, must eat well. But they also, amen, <laughs> hallelujah. But they also, you know, have people going to them to their home, training them, and then taking them out into the harvest, and then saying. You can do this. Yes. You can do this. So when, what night, what time, yep. where, who would you invite? What would, what, what story set would you share? Uh, those sorts of things. This is, this is wonderful news guys. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And then, and this, and we have several mature Christians that have caught, that have caught the vision. Mm-hmm. So within the seven house churches, we have people that have reoriented their lives to, to lead these groups, you know, uh, uh, they're in the homes of, of many people. They're they're not indigenous in the sense of they're outsiders, but yet they've caught the vision and they're running with it. Uh, Vincent Maria, who have uh, intentionally moved into a refugee community and have four different uh, Discovery Bible studies throughout the week. One one of them is a house church. They have three baptized believers in that group, um, and they have Iraqi, uh, Burmese, Nepalese, Hispanic. In that one house, in Ethiopian, in that house, in Somali. Somali. <laughs> they had eight, eight, they had eight uh, nationalities in that one group. Wow. That's where we need to leave, James and David. You can check out their resources at tptusa.com or get in touch with them about doing training at citychurchmovement.com.